Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now it's your turn. Everybody wants to be a founder. Um, And so the people that used to be your first engineers that didn't think they could be founders, those people now are trying to be founders themselves because they know you get a lot more equity, you can be a lot more wealthy at the end of the day, and you can own your own destiny. And so how do you hire great engineers when every engineer wants to be their own founder? Um, And it really goes to like, I I would rather have six months of a great engineer that eventually leaves me and becomes their own founder than have some middle of the road person that doesn't want that and isn't a great engineer. And and I've learned that lesson to be humble uh, to the engineers that you talk to and say, I'm I'm thankful that that I only get six months of your time. He is a wildly successful A-list entrepreneur, investor, and heavy hitter in the mecca of innovation, Silicon Valley, a.k.a. San Francisco, California. He's founded and been hired by some of the biggest software companies over the last 20 years. He's led capital funding rounds of tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars, to which have led many of his companies through successful acquisitions, such as PowerSet, the technology that powers the mega search engine Bing, which sold to Microsoft in July of 2008 for $100 million. He is currently the founder and CEO of Famous, a design software platform that allows the average Joe to create stunning mobile, tablet, and website experiences without any code. Aside from being a superior talent scout and having an innate ability to build high-functioning teams, his career has revolved around bridging the way people experience software and simplifying business models into one platform. He has grit, bold visions to change the world, and the skills to pull it off. And as it is written in scripture that upon the seventh day, God asked one man to redesign Silicon Valley into the famous city that it is now, by hand, one iteration at a time. This man is our next guest. Please welcome Steve Newcomb. Good Lord. Uh, Well, thanks for that rousing intro. That was was, uh, way too much. (laughs) We're excited to be here. Thank you for hosting us Mm -hmm. in your uh, famous studio. Yeah, happy to have you guys here. Glad to, glad to host you. It's exciting to have you guys here. Thanks, man. Thanks, sir. But before we jump into why we have you here on Call to Action Podcast, we're going to put you through a little thing we call the brain freeze frenzy. It's a, a wild array of random questions fired off rapid style. Are you ready? I am ready. Five coffees in and my fruity fizz drink. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's do it. What is one positive thing that you can say about yourself today? Today? Um, that I did today or about me? Just something you're proud about today. You know, every single day in a startup is the best of times and the worst of times. And I've, ex- I've already experienced both of those things this morning before I ever talked to you. And one of the most important things to do as a founder is to keep on trucking. And so we had an amazing moment this morning and we had a death-defying moment this morning already. And uh, it's it's something that, you know, you gotta you gotta handle it and handle it with a smile on your face. You know, if death comes knocking, you can just smile and that's it. And uh, uh, when opportunity comes knocking, you better answer the door. And you know, before I've you know had the opportunity to talk to you guys today, we've already had both of those two things happen. Amen. If you could be an inanimate object for a day, what would it be and why? An inanimate object. Any object. 
Um, I would like to be Yo-Yo Ma's cello. Why would that be? Well, I'm a musician, and I really appreciate great musicianship. And uh, imagine if you were the instrument played by the greatest True. cellist in the world, and you got to experience him. That's uh, a really that'd be amazing interesting, for me. That's an interesting perspective. That's really cool. We'll jump into that, I believe, uh, coming up here as well. But uh, what is your favorite place that you have traveled to? Uh, far and away, not even anything else was even close. Is um, after we sold PowerSet to Microsoft, I took a year off, and my wife and I both quit everything uh, just to recapture who we are and you know what we want to do with our lives. And uh, we lived in the French side of Saint Martin and only spoke French and only hung out with French people and just reconnected with. Well, alcohol for one. Um, <laughs> and others? A little bit of nakedness. There you um, go. You speak uh, French as well? I don't speak, I barely speak English good. Uh, my <laughs> wife calls my version, you know, Steve's version of French, she calls it stench. Uh, I am not Lovely term. at all fluent. She is uh, fluent in French. She went to school in France. And uh, so she's, oh, the, wow. she's the talent in the family. And I would just sit there and drink and be merry. Beautiful. Worst travel experience? Um, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, I think that getting to St. Martin was uh, tough. So when we went to go to St. Martin, uh, we got delayed, flight canceled, everything. We ended up uh, in Miami on the, the South Beach Row. Mm. Not my scene. Uh and we stayed there for a while and you know we're at one of those very expensive hotel rooms right on the the, the main drag right and there's nightclubs and i'm like i'm popping. i'm you know not only non-athletic can't dance at all it's just not my scene and that was like a little bit anxiety uh, producing from them and so i kind of freaked out and i'm like let's just go to any caribbean island so we went to um saint croix which I didn't know is there's nothing on St. Croix. It was the only flight available and there was a reason. And we get there and we booked a room and the guy's like, well, there's no running water in your room and the door doesn't work. So the door will be open to the air and you're on the first floor. And then he invited me to his pot party that he was throwing. It was a pot hookah party and um, so we had this horrifying room, uh, and but we just made the most of it and just hooked it up. And that probably helped. Yeah, and we just ended up partying the night away and just making it through that way. But it was just a death-defying traveling route to finally get to to the Grand Casse in in Saint Martin. Uh, but once we got there, it was absolutely wonderful. Beautiful. Sounds like our kind of party. What's your morning routine look like? Um, I'm a, a extremely early morning riser. And I try to, you know, I get up 5.36, 6.30 if I'm having a long day. Um, but I get up and exercise. I try to run two to three miles on an elliptical. I don't go outside anymore. Um, but do two to three miles on an elliptical. And then I take an hour to an hour and a half of uh, music lessons where I'm learning how to score um, orchestral music and film music. 
Um, so I sit at my music studio for about an hour, hour and a half, and then I exercise prior. And then I come into work. I write my lists uh, in, in my famous notebook with my you know, famous pencil that I have. And I uh, get my wits about me. And then we have our first uh, team meeting at 9 a.m. in the morning. And that's where we sort of get our day organized and, and talk about the day's activities. Wow, we love those super inspiring morning routines here. What types of stress management do you provide for your company? Do we provide for Famous? Yeah, so mm-hmm. could be a morning thing, could be Well, we, every meditation. Friday, we do differently. So um, on Fridays, everyone stops their projects. You're no longer working on your projects on Fridays. And everybody, we, we just kind of call it cleaning your closet. So if there's technical debt or product debt or design debt or there's some stuff that needs to be done that's been bugging you, everybody's kind of like we put up all the little tiny little tasks up on a bulletin board, sort of a Kanban board, and, and we just do these tiny little tasks. And then at the end of that day, we celebrate. Uh, and we have um, wine tastings, beer tastings, and then we cook for each other. And then we celebrate the accomplishments of the week. And we do that every week religiously. Um, and uh, we love it. We just call it Demo Day. Yeah. Yeah. For engineers, this can be you know, an incredibly a release of stress just because you know, we can kind of get these things off of our shoulders and get on with the stuff that matters most. If you could go back in history and get drunk or high with anyone, who would it be and why? Mm. Um, drunk or high. Two wildly different things. Uh, I'd love to get drunk with Mick Jagger or high with Mick Jagger. That guy would probably be a lot of fun hanging back, back, when, back in his day. His highlight back days. Back in his day. His I think prime. You can tell my my life revolves around music. So right. Uh, I would. I would. I was in a band for a while. I got to play on stage with some pretty cool stuff uh, back when I was a kid. Uh, we got to open up for the band who opened up for the band who opened up for the band who opened up. For the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and oh, then we also, we also got resume. to do the same thing for Jane's Addiction. Oh wow, that's um, incredible, man! And we we were we were not the best band, um, <laughs> but we did stand on the same stage, and uh, you know uh, that was back when I was like nineteen, so that was like super cool. Wow, shifting gears just a little bit. Describe what sh- Twinkie shitting anxiety is to our audience. Yeah, I, I wrote a, uh, an essay a while back uh, after we sold PowerSet to Microsoft. And you know, there's lots of equivalents. Uh, ben Horowitz um, calls it Wifia, we're fucked, it's over. <laughs> um, I call them Twinkie shitting moments where you literally shit a Twinkie fully wrapped <laughs> out of your ass and you just cannot believe the moment you're in. And... You know, we've we've I've had so many of those at PowerSet. Well, you're you're just in this startup moment, and you feel like HBO should be filming it. You know, for Silicon Valley, the TV show, and it's just these moments where you're like, it's either a Wifio moment, or it's like I cannot be- believe I'm in this exact moment because it's so ridiculous. Um, and you have those in startups. You know, we've had so many crazy ones out throughout my career where you just it just happens, and you're like, how the f is this real that I'm, you know, I'm living through this right now and it just seems nuts. Can it be both positive and negative? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll shit Twinkies on a dime. I'll, I'll, I'll like, <laughs> you know, I, like when we launched, uh, I, I like, yeah, positive one when we launched um, 
the power set search engine into like I guess you would call it alpha and you send it away to get your search results test to see if you could beat Google and like no one had ever beat Google before and we got our search results test back for a subset uh, you know a bunch of queries that the that the thing put in there to say did you do better than uh, Google and we won 70% of the time Wow! and I absolutely I think I shot a Twinkie and a ho-ho you know right then because it was just like this is going to get real. Like I did this because you have this, you know, I have massive imposter syndrome. And like when we succeed, I have it. And when we fail, I'm like, of course I failed because I'm an imposter. You know, I just feel like how could this ever really be me doing this sometimes? And, you know, it's it's a it's a battle to believe that this is real sometimes uh, when we launched Famous and we expected maybe 20,000 people to sign up and we had 200,000 people like you know, on a snap. And it was just amazing. And we're just like looking at our charts and we're like, is, why are these people using our product? And, and we're like, oh, maybe we are good. Yeah, and, validation. And it's scary when you get validated. It, it, it's, hmm. it, a lot of people think, oh yeah, you go out and you just feel all confident. I get, the more I succeed, the more nervous I get sometimes. And we'll dive into the psychology about behind that a bit, uh, in just a bit once we get through the brain freeze frenzy, but we'll, we'll come right back to that. If you could call yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? And secondly, call yourself 10 years in the future. What would you want to ask yourself? Um, I think, I think 10 years and, uh, if I were to talk to myself 10 years ago, it's just the more you can live your life true and honest, the, the happier you'll be. And the more you lie to yourself and like things like tell you tell yourself that you want to do things for pride reasons versus happiness reasons, the more your anxiety goes through the roof. Um, and because, you know, you know, it's sort of like um, what's the equation? Uh, 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 pain minus meaning equals anxiety. Um, that mm-hmm. is that is never more a true statement made. And it was. Uh, you know, um, I'm forgetting the guy who coined it as the guy, the hotel chain, uh, Joie de Vivre. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just such a true payment, like a uh, true statement, just like live truthfully and you'll be happily happy. And whether your startup becomes the next Facebook or your startup sells for 10 million or your startup fails is actually weirdly irrelevant to, to the importance of living your life truthfully. Oh, um, if I were to say something to myself 10 years from now, what would you want to ask stay yourself? Stay in shape, um, uh, live healthily, uh, live for 200 years, um, be active, um, retirement doesn't exist. Um, uh, you know, if I've conquered the startup space, great. What else can I conquer? Yeah. Um, I'll never stop working and never stop conquering, never stop learning. Always learn, always learn. Beautiful. Such sage advice. What was the last thing that you did (laughs) that you're glad nobody else saw? Hmm. Um, Did you step in dog shit? Did you, you know? (laughs) uh, Nobody else I knew saw? Um, Yeah. I've had some, I've had some, doozies um uh i'd say one of my dooziest uh was so when my wife and i got married uh we couldn't afford much uh to go on our honeymoon and we went to we went to phoenix 
Um, My home state. <laughs> and we, you know, they have some really good spas there. Uh, and that's where they kind of invented the Golden Door Spa, if, I, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, so we went to the Golden Door Spa and, you know, paid for big spa treatments. And um, they gave you the, the couple's room afterwards for an hour. And they just like wink, wink, do whatever you want. Mm. And it's like indoor, outdoor area. So my wife and I were out there and, you know, like any good spa person, we had no clothing on whatsoever. Right. And we go to leave and the door's locked. <laughs> and um, I'm like, where'd everybody go? And we were the last, you know, people of the day and they left and they locked us outside in our Without own little paddock area. So it was high fenced, <laughs> but we were naked. And my wife was like, In all your glory. you're climbing that fence, I'm yeah. not. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck. Good woman. So, you know, right off the heels of our marriage, she saw what must have been the worst naked move possible, which is hoisting yourself over <laughs> a spiked wooden fence. And oh, I land on the good. other side of that fence, and, and I kid you not, they were having um, – a yoga class so I, I land in the yoga class and I see this like shaman monk dude teaching the yoga class I'm like namaste and then I run and I'm running to try to find somebody and the thing is the the massage I got was a cranial sacral massage mm. which is supposed to relieve all this emotion right right so I got that that massage so that we just got married you know the whole wedding is stressful so i'm like hey i'm gonna try this see what happens the guy gave me an hour and a half cranial sacrum like this is not doing anything well it hit me as i'm running and i just start crying and i'm oh, naked what? and i'm running through the hotel like trying to find like something to cover myself up with and i finally make it out of there and then by the time I get back, they had already unlocked my wife. She's in the, like the comfortable, the comfortable bathroom robe, and I'm there with like they put some janky towel on me, and I'm like crying. <laughs> so that was, you know, oh my proud moment. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so I've had I've had a few of those myself. Yeah. So, but that was just last week. Anyway, <laughs> so last couple questions. This one's a little, little lengthy, but uh, for a good reason. So there are three doors in front of you. You have to go through one of them. Behind the first door, a fire is raging. A gunman lurks behind the second one. And behind the third one, there's a lion that hasn't eaten in three years. Which door will you choose? A lion that hasn't eaten? A lion. Oh, a lion that hasn't eaten in three years. A guy with a gun. And what was the first one? A fire is raging. Which, which door do you choose? Guy with a gun. I, I did the same. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting one because uh, it's, it's like a little doozy. Just to warm up the you know prefrontal yeah. cortex, but right. the line that hasn't eaten in three years, I missed that one as well myself. He's dead. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Default search engine, Google, DuckDuckGo, or Bing? Uh, Google, 100%. I've never used mm. the product I built. Really? I do not use Bing, no. Maybe we'll jump into that I, in just I a mean, second. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, had Google bought it, and then right. I'd use it. Okay, okay, true. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Steve. Yeah. You made it through Ugh. the brain Don't freeze frenzy. Yeah, <laughs> me too. So, Steve, you've had a tremendously successful career, um, but you don't become an A-list Twinkie shitting entrepreneur overnight. 
can you help us get to know the young Steve and anyone or anything that's helped you shape you to where yeah. you are today? Yeah, I'm, uh, like many people, I'm not from the Bay Area. And uh, I came here, you know, I lived in DC, uh, but I'm from Baltimore. And uh, when I came here, this was like, it might as well have been a foreign country. It was it was so everything here. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how venture capital worked. I didn't know how startups worked. Uh, most of the startups were in like Palo Alto or Mountain View back then. They weren't really in the city. We had Fourth Street. I don't know if you remember. Was called Silicon Gulch mm. uh, back then. There was like four startups on Fourth Street, um, and I was desperate to know how startups worked. I was desperate to know uh, how venture capital worked and how to uh, raise money. And, you know, I I joined, you know, a startup that did very well on the dot-com boom, but I still didn't know anything. And um, one of the things I did early on is I just, I I came up with this crazy idea to have what's what I call the venture capital breakfast club. And I said, every Thursday, we're going to have six startups pitch to general partners of VCs. And that way, I'll meet all the VCs and I'll get to see how to pitch because yeah. I've never been in a pitch in my life. And then I got um, lawyers. I knew lawyers always wanted to get clients. So I went over to Wilson Sonsini and I went to Fenwick and I said, will you guys sponsor this thing? And they said, yes. And I was like shocked that they said yes. Um, and they said, we'll host it too. And I'm like, cool, we have a boardroom, we have breakfast coming in. Um, so this was prior to ever having your own startup. Yeah, this I've, is you moving from Baltimore to here yeah, and I'll just saying, I wanna learn. Fake it till you make it, have I do you, nothing. Have you always had this entrepreneurial spirit as a young man? Is that something oh. that developed from your parents? Is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, in college I had two startups I I wrote a little algorithm that um, created cheesy music jingles and then I sold them to car dealerships uh, and that was fun um, and then I uh, wrote uh, a system so that we could input uh, resumes into vax machines which you know I, I went to uh, school prior to the internet. So the only way you could share stuff is over vax machines back in the day. And so we shared resumes and I charged people like 20 to 50 bucks to input a resume. Mm-hmm. Literally almost like data entry. Uh, small businesses, but I had the bug early. Um, and I took every entrepreneurship class that the school had, which means I took one class. <laughs> um, Not much options back no, then. No, no, no. Um, so I wanted to know how it worked in the big show, you know. Right. So this Venture Capital Breakfast Club was just absolutely formative. We did it every Thursday. I did it for two years. So I got to watch that many startups pitch to that many general partners. And the and the law firms helped me get the venture capital people there. And then I just put a notice out, you know, back, you know, at that time, this was around 2001, 2002, the internet did exist. And um, I just put a forum up, said, you want to, you want to present at the, you know, Venture Capital Breakfast Club, let me know. And all of a sudden it had like, every startup in the Valley was contacting me. And I was like, you know, that's when my imposter syndrome started. Cause I'm like, who am I? Like all these people think I'm like the gatekeeper. Um, and I was like, this was actually like so super easy to set up. But I got to see how to pitch. I got to see what it looks like in the eyes of a venture capitalist when he thinks somebody's bullshitting them, right. when he thought it was real. And um, 
you know, I, 99% of the people there were full of shit, but 1% were real. Were there any key things that you would be able to signify that, okay, that person's full of shit? Or was it something that you just would have to listen to the whole pitch to realize at the end of it? Was there, was there key characteristics of an individual that kind of displayed that to you? Did you f- have a fine-tuned eye for it eventually? What was uh, I think process a general it? theme would be that um, when I saw MBA students from whatever name your Ivy League school pitch, I'd see the VC get not excited at all. I'd see them, Interesting. Uh, you know, start immediately question passion and go literally like attack them on like, are you really passionate about this or did you just build a spreadsheet? And that was to my great surprise, you know, because I had always thought, oh, people who get into Stanford and Harvard have a leg up on these things. And every MBA kid I saw come through faceplant. And the people that did well were people that came from the industry that they were trying to create something in or had been self-taught or had some sort of struggle. Um, and that's when I realized like this, this little pocket that we live in is really and truly a meritocracy. And if you earn it, it don't matter what your background is, um, if, if you've earned it, if you've come from it, if you've seen a real tangible problem and you're solving a real tangible thing, these VCs could taste it and smell it and know it. And that made me feel really good because I was just from Baltimore, you know, and I was like, oh, like I get to participate in this community. And that's when I got, that's when I started feeling like I belong because I was always so worried. Like if I didn't go to an Ivy League school, I wouldn't have a chance because that's what a lot of, that's, you know, if you don't know any better, you could think that. Do you ever try and gauge execution strength for any of these people? You know what what they would be able to pull off you know versus what's maybe in their slide presentation you mean in those in those venture capital breakfast club presos exactly i think that uh one of the things that i noticed is the people who didn't have any presentation at all did better yeah really uh, yeah they and that affected me and has affected how i present definitely people who just come in and they're like yeah we have fifty thousand customers this is our revenue uh we're growing at 200 percent you know, you want to talk more, here's my idea. Mm. Or people who came in with a product and showed a prototype. So that deeply affected me when we built PowerSet. The only thing we really showed was the demo of us versus Google in a blind side-by-side Pepsi challenge taste test. That's what I presented to Peter Thiel when we when Peter Thiel funded us. We didn't have a deck. I just, I, we just had an A and a B and you couldn't tell who was who. And I'm like, type in search queries and tell me who you think is better. And when he did it, we won, I think it was like nine out of 10 times. Wow. Because then I revealed who was who. And I was like, give me money. It's, it's obviously, it's a search engine. I don't need to tell you the market for a search engine, but we just beat the pants off of Google with your queries. And when I uh, did, the, did the angel round for Famous, we only brought a demo. We did not have a deck. I actually brought a printed book. Um, I have it here. I can show it to you guys. That would be I brought cool. a printed book Get some pictures that we printed of that. up almost like a photo book of the history of Famous. And what, one of the funny things we did is every photo in it, I actually, we, we doctored up the scene that we were in to be exactly like the scene of every photo of Steve Jobs with his team in the beginning of Apple. So we replicated every scene of their original photos of Apple and didn't tell anybody. Wow. Um, and but we presented a book and a demo for famous and i presented a demo a prototype 
for the initial rounds at uh, Power Set. Eventually, when you go into Series A and Series B, you gotta you gotta have a big deck. But um, I, I saw these things, and you can just sense when somebody's actually in it and they're doing real things versus someone who just says, "Well, if you give me money, then I can build it." Right. That's a bullshitter. Okay. You know, as someone who's like addicted to it and they just have to go do it. We'll we'll do it first, and then and then just say can. You know, along the way, if anybody wants to give me money, that would be fantastic because I'm sick of eating out of trash cans. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I ended up really getting a good sniffer for bullshit as a result of that. So you took what you learned in this breakfast club. How long? You did that for a couple of years. Two years, yeah. And you eventually took that knowledge and, I guess, expertise at that point on how to raise money. And you converted it into your... I guess it's a couple startups down the line, but uh, Power Set. Can you talk us into, I guess, the startings? What what made you want to get into Search Engine Zville, if you will, and you know how you how you built your team? And mm-hmm. I mean, by the time of Power Set, I was uh, I had gotten a dream job at the Stanford Research Institute. I really wanted to dig my teeth in deep inside of an industry, like I saw people that had succeeded in those venture capital breakfast club meetings. So I was at SRI, which is really hard to get into, and we were doing voice recognition search. Um, and I was learning some really cool stuff and learning under a guy by the name of Paul Cook, um, who was our CEO, and he had taken five companies public. And it was just amazing to learn um, uh, from him. And we had an amazing technical team that I got to learn from. And my co-founder, uh, Barney Pell, was at NASA, uh, doing voice recognition work uh, for the space shuttle. And my other co-founder, Lorenzo, was at Xerox, uh, Fuji Xerox Park doing natural language search. And we were introduced to each other by a venture capital uh, partner that I had met through the Venture Capital Breakfast Club years earlier, and her name was Laura Drian. And I went to Laura and said, hey, I'm, I'm ready to start a startup. I think I want it to be in search. I know a lot about it. I now know the pain I want to solve. I've take, I took, at that point, I had five years under my belt really learning how to do all this stuff. And Laura introduced me to Barney. Barney introduced me to Lorenzo. And that's how the three founders of PowerSet got to know each other. And it was because I basically volunteered without charging a dime for five years helping VCs Sometimes it was the breakfast club. Sometimes I helped them do due diligence. But I put five years into those relationships. Um, and so if it weren't for a large union, I wouldn't have met Barney and I wouldn't have met Lorenzo and PowerSet would have never existed. So you got you to pay it forward and then, it, and then you ask for that one favor and then it all comes together. And, you know, I probably haven't thanked Laura well enough uh, for what she did for me because it helped start my entire career you know uh, as a startup person when she listens to this she'll understand yeah yeah absolutely and you wrote the success or failure of most startups is determined within the first two years so having gold even if for a short time could make all the difference can you speak on your motto why buy silver when you can rent gold and how you applied this to power set which later became the mega search engine bing yeah, I mean, uh, so there's so much talent in today's world. Um, I think lots of people now know this is a meritocracy. And so everybody wants to be a founder. Um, and so the people that used to be your first engineers that didn't think they could be founders 
those people now are trying to be founders themselves because they know you get a lot more equity. You can be a lot more wealthy at the end of the day and you can own your own destiny. And so how do you hire great engineers when every engineer wants to be their own founder? Um, and it really goes to like, I, I would rather have six months of a great engineer that eventually leaves me and becomes their own founder than have some middle of the road person that doesn't want that and isn't a great engineer. And, I, and I've learned that lesson to be humble uh, to the engineers that you talk to and say, I'm, I'm thankful that, you, that I only get six months of your time. And that if they wanna leave you and, and found their own company, then help them. Um, don't, don't try to keep anyone down. And I learned this like in spades at, at PowerSet. Um, and, it, and it kind of started with uh, this young engineer named Tom that joined us and he was uh, started as an L2 but then grew, grew, grew and grew and he brought his friend in Chris who did the same as a, he was a contractor but he grew, grew and grew and I knew I was renting Tom and Chris because um, I could just tell these, these are the type of people that would go in and found something and I was glad to have them for the short period of time uh, that I did. And that, that's Tom Preston Warner and Chris Wanstroth, the founders of GitHub. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. I think at PowerSet we have, I don't know, like 50% of the engineers at PowerSet are now founders. It's ridiculous. What's well, a lot. Like when we have a reunion, the last reunion we have, I think there was only one guy who wasn't a founder of his own company, and he's an executive at Adobe now. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big so, deal. So yeah, I mean, and and uh, I think the same is happening at Famous. If we look at the the lineage of of folks who've worked at Famous, the amount of people that are now founders is spectacular. And I even have a couple people that went on to found their own company to try to compete with Famous. And I'm like, bravo! Like Bring it on. they're all yeah. like scared shitless. I'm going to sue them. And I'm like, no. I'm like. There's room in this for all of us. We're actually brethren in the same joy, so why not? Um, and it's it's kind of a strange thing to think that's how I feel, but it is how I feel. And I love talking to other founders. I love helping them. I love learning from them. And it's like this meritocracy-based community is so rarefied that we should just be thankful it fucking exists in the first place because this doesn't exist anywhere else. You can't do this anywhere else, but right here in like this little radius of the Bay Area. Yeah, amen. So you build this culture and your success is growing in power set. What, what was the feeling you got when you realized that Microsoft wanted to acquire you? Well, you use the word success and power set together and those two don't match in my mind. Um, when, when we were in the it, you know in the throes of the of the power set story um i saw it as a failure um and i still see it as a failure we were trying to be the company that beat google you know i deeply respected google i wanted to build a search engine i wanted to build a big company that's what i want to do i don't want to sell companies um, I want to build a big company and I want to create my own culture. I want to revolutionize, you know, how people think about companies and products. Um, the fact that we sold uh, Microsoft to Microsoft for $100 million should be told to other founders as a failure story because it was.
Hello, C-Tappers. We hope you're enjoying part one with Steve Newcomb. And if you're watching on YouTube, we did an off-site recording in San Francisco at Steve's offices. We really appreciate him hosting us up there. Next week, we'll be launching the final part two and how Steve was able to take what he learned from his company's acquisition from Microsoft to building his current company famous. So if you ever want to learn how to fundraise, build a team culture, pivot a company's direction, or all of the above, stay tuned for next week's episode on Call to Action Podcast. And please, if you like what we're producing, smash that subscribe button, leave a rating and a comment. And if you don't, do similarly. We want honest feedback because at the end of the day, we're here to produce the best show possible for you, our listeners. So thanks for tuning in. See you next week.